Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right. Uh, once again, I am recording on a Friday afternoon. There is a lot of traffic going by outside, so I apologize for the background noise. Again, I can clean that up to some extent, but it's going to be there a little bit. So I apologize for the sound quality. At some point, I would like to set up a more purpose-built recording room. We're renting this house, so I can't pull out the hammer and the saws and go to town on it. But it is what it is for the time being, but I do apologize. All right, before we get into today's topic, I want to uh, thank everyone. I've been watching the analytics, and for the last two weeks, my downloads have jumped up noticeably. Um, I'd like to thank you guys. It's it's humbling that people want to listen to me run my mouth about anything. I'm sure a lot of it has got to do with the lockdown. Everybody was just so desperate for anything new that they'll even listen to my hillbilly drawl ranting about something. I am surprised that I've gotten the amount of support that I have for this show. Um, again, I'm not a known name, so I'm not coming in with any kind of a built-in audience. Uh, I don't have any broadcasting experience. I don't have any skills. But I just I wanted to take a second and thank everyone for the support. Um, you know, keep sharing this with your friends if you're enjoying the show. Every little bit helps. Uh, again, I'm not doing any kind of advertising or anything like that. This is just something I like to sit down and do a couple times a week. Thank you guys again. Uh, the response has been surprising. But, you know, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep better. And I hope you guys keep listening and keep enjoying the shows. Of course, that, that part's on me, not you. But I'm going to do everything I can to keep you entertained and hopefully keep drawing in more and more listeners. It's it, Like I say, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I know I'm not any good at it, but thank you guys again. It's, it's amazing that I've gotten the number of downloads that I have, and I just want you to know that I do appreciate it. In that vein, it's probably a good thing for the show anyway that lockdowns are probably coming back down the road. Uh, like I say, the media is cranking up the panic porn. Every day you hear that this hospital or that hospital is at capacity. I did hear something interesting. Uh, I listened to a Dr. Drew Pinsky show. He said that if they say a hospital is at capacity, that is different from saying that a hospital is full. Uh, apparently, hospitals have to have a certain amount of staff for a certain amount of patients. And when they say they are at capacity, what they're saying is this is the maximum number of patients that we can provide care to given the number of doctors and nurses and support staff that we have employed at the hospital. It's different from saying that they're all the beds are full and they've got patients out in the parking lot. Basically, all that means is this is the number of patients we can take care of. It does not mean all the beds are full. And he said that if you're running a hospital, you want to be running at capacity because that means that you are getting the maximum amount of patients for the people that you have on staff. So it's just kind of an interesting thing to keep your eye on in news reports. If they say a hospital is at capacity, they're going to couch that is as if you went to that hospital, they would not have anywhere to put you. That's not the case. It's a little bit of a word play. They're trying to make it sound worse than it is. Obviously, you know, unless you own a hospital, that's not an ideal situation for the patients, uh, but that is the ideal situation for the bottom line of the hospital. Um, I noticed that the numbers in California, and I'm sorry, one of the main podcasts I listen to comes out of California, so I hear a lot of their news secondhand. 
But I've noticed that there has not been one single mention of going back into lockdown in California. Now, California was more than happy to lock that state down for a very long time, much past what all the other states did. So it struck me as a little odd that they're not talking about that now. If you're curious why they're not talking about that now, it's because Governor Newsom is facing a recall, and that would affect his chances of keeping his seat in the state legislature. Now, I want you to think about that, because there are two scenarios that are going on here, or two possible scenarios. Number one is that the lockdown the first time around did not really do anything, and the only reason the state of California did that for that long is because Gavin Newsom enjoyed having that much power. The other possible scenario is is that the lockdown was necessary and it saved people's lives. In the first scenario, Governor Newsom is a tyrant and he does not need to be in power. The second scenario is that he is sacrificing the lives of his constituents because it will increase his chance of withholding the governorship. Does that sound like somebody that needs to be in charge of anything? I would argue no. The people of California probably feel a little bit different because they keep voting for those jackasses. Oh, one interesting thing in the recall is that Larry Elder is polling at about 20% right now. Uh, if you're not familiar with Larry Elder, he is a conservative talk show host. Uh, he is also black. I kind of hope I like Larry Elder. I enjoy his show. Um, if you have not heard it, uh, you can get it on online. Give it a listen. He's very good talk show host. He really does a good job. Uh, really knows the statistics. I recommend his show. Give it a listen. But I kind of hope that Larry Elder does not win the race, not because I don't think he would make a good governor. If you'll think back to when Obama was running for his first term and for re-election, there was only one single solitary reason why someone would not vote for Obama, and that is because if you were not supporting him, it meant that you were just a raging white supremacist and you would never ever vote for him just because he was black. I kind of hope Larry Elder does not win this recall election so that I can, for the rest of my life, anytime anybody from California has an opinion on anything, I can say, well, why should I listen to you? You're a white supremacist. That would make me happy. And since I don't live in California, I won't have to live under any of the ridiculous policies whoever beats Larry Elder will put into effect. So it's a win-win for me. And I guarantee you that if Governor Newsom retains his seat, or if another Democrat takes his place, California will be put back into a lockdown post-haste. Okay, with all that out of the way, uh, let's get into our topic for the today, which is the first chapter of Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. Now, I was going to give a synopsis of what he said in the chapter. Unfortunately, chapter one, there was very little like nuts and bolts of his plan for how to conduct these movements and protests. Uh, chapter one, and it's not a particularly long chapter, it was only about 20 pages, but it strictly dealt with just his personal philosophy regarding life, economics, politics. And basically, I can sum up his personal philosophy based along two thoughts. Um, the first 
is that a political activist cannot get locked into one mindset. In the last episode about this book, we discussed how he did not like dogma. He felt that anybody that becomes fanatical about one train of thought or one belief system, that can lead them down extremely bad roads. So he believes that a political activist needs to stay fluid in how they approach a situation and not just decide this is the absolute way to do this, and this is what I'm going to do in every situation, no matter what. This is actually a very pragmatic approach. Um, it's and Once again, this is one of the things that I agree with him on. But his point was is that, you know, alliances change. You know, a movement can start out with very good intentions in mind and morph into something else down the road. One of the examples he gave was the CIO, uh, which was a activist organization back in the 60s. But he said, you know, he used to support them, but then they merged with the AFL. And you know, we still hear about the AFL-CIO. He said once they merge, they sort of become ensconced with the powers that be. And he said they're actually supporting the Vietnam War. Now, obviously, this was written in 1971, so the Vietnam War was still going on. But that was one of the examples he gave. He said, you know, alliances change, uh, people's motivations change. You know, something else he brought up was there was a push to tear down all these dilapidated housing in the inner city and replace them with new modern apartment buildings. Uh, today, we know those as government projects, and they are notorious for being hell holes. So he said that is another example that something that started out with a good intention and just went off the rails at some point, and it's something that he actually fights against at this point, something that he used to support. But Solinsky believed that the law of unintended consequences usually means that for every solution, there is another problem that arises directly because of that solution. And he believed that a political activist needs to be fluid enough in their thinking to recognize when something has went astray and stop supporting it, which is not something you see much anymore. You People decide this is right and that's the end of my thought on the process. These are logical, pragmatic ways to approach a problem. I don't really agree with a lot of the things that he used these philosophies to support, but I do support and agree with the thinking. I am a very pragmatic person. I don't attach a lot of meaning to somebody's motivations. It's just simply, does this work or does this not work? And if it doesn't work, let's not waste time doing it. And if it does work, why are we trying to change it? You basically, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. I agree with that. It's the other part of his philosophy that I have got some issues with. And the other part of his philosophy that he dealt with in chapter one went into the nature of economics and the people in our society. And basically, he broke all of society down into three parts. Uh, there are the haves. There are the have-nots. And then there have the have a little, want more. Basically, the haves are the upper crust. Obviously, the have-nots are the poor. And the have a little, want more represented the middle class. Uh, Saul Linsky seems to have a good deal of disdain for the middle class, not because they're the middle class, but because he feels like the middle class was comfortable enough not to want to change anything. And of course, Mr. Linsky believed that the have the haves, sorry, 
the haves were all about the status quo. They just wanted to freeze everything where it was. Well, of course they do. That's human nature. If you have a good salary and a nice home and a very comfortable life, obviously you're not going to want anything to change. It's human nature. It's not evil. It's not trying to destroy somebody else's life. If you're in a comfortable situation and you're happy, you're going to want that to continue. That's not evil. That's the way every person on this planet is going to feel in that situation. And, of course, the have-nots was the group that Saul Alinsky had spent basically 40 years of his life trying to improve their lot in life. Now, Saul Alinsky is not a communist. Going into this, I kind of assumed that he would have a lot of communistic sympathies. He is not a fan of communism. Now, again, he was doing all of his work and writing this book sort of at the tail end of the Red Scare, but he was doing all this work during the Red Scare at the height of McCarthyism. I'm keeping an open mind as far as possibly this is just what he was saying publicly, and that's not really what he felt. But I'm, you know, the man's dead and gone. I can't talk to him and ask him about it. I'm just, I'm taking him at his word. And the things that he says about communism are not glowing recommendations. Uh, Saul Linsky understood that communism too often leads to human suffering and dictatorships, uh, something that most people in the media and this country today do not understand. And again, in the prologue, he even said, if I grab you by the lapels and tell you to do something, you're going to resent it. But if I let you arrive at that decision on your own, it's going to mean more to you. You're going to understand the point of why you need to do that. So he understood that you cannot hand things to people. And just giving people stuff is a horrible idea. You've seen this in your own life. If you have a friend that you give money to, how much longer are you friends with that person? Or a family member. If a family member borrows money from you, it's not long before you're the jerk in that situation. And it just creates a lot of animosity. Giving people stuff is a bad idea. If you hand something to a person, it means nothing to them. If they work and earn it, it will matter. And the perfect example of this is think back to when you were in high school and you're standing in the student parking lot. In that parking lot, there are going to be cars that their parents just handed them the keys to that car. And there's going to be cars where somebody got a part-time job. They saved up their money. They're paying for that car themselves. And I heard a joke one time or a meme online. I think it was on Facebook that I saw it. But it said parents are giving their 16-year-olds vehicles that those 16-year-olds will not be able to afford when they're 30. And I feel like I can walk around, I could go to my children's high school, and I could walk around that parking lot, I can tell you whose parents handed them the keys of that car and who worked for it. Because you'll have a very nice car that's filthy, it's got dings and scratches all over it, and it's loaded up with trash, and I guarantee you that that person did not work for that car. Their parents just handed it to them. And then I can go to a car that's eight, nine years old, and it looks like whoever owns it spends all weekend taking care of that car. They worked their butt off to pay for that car, and it's their baby. And they are going to take care of it like it's their firstborn child. And I may not be 100% accurate walking around that parking lot, but I guarantee you I can get 90% of who just was given a car and who earned their car. 
And that's true of anything in life. You cannot give people stuff. It means nothing to them. And nine times out of 10, they're going to resent you down the road for giving it to them. And that's where me and Saul Alinsky's philosophies kind of part ways. He really falls into the the haves are somehow holding down the have-nots. That line of thinking, there was a time in Europe where that absolutely was the truth. The have-nots had no chance of improving their lot in life because the haves owned everything. You know, the lower classes, they weren't allowed to own land. Uh, Most of them were farmers, but they did not own their own farmland. Somebody who owned it allowed them to live on the land and expected them to give a portion of their crops to the landowner. We hear about the landed gentry. Not many people really understand what that meant. That meant the lords... The dukes, the you know, all these royalty, and even some that weren't royalty, just the the upper crust of European society, they owned the land. They landed gentry. Another term we hear a lot is you know the lord of the land. Well, that's that's not just a euphemism for you know this guy is control of this area. No, he literally was the lord of the land. And if you wanted to have a farm and be able to feed your family you were subject to whatever whim that guy had because he could tell you to leave at any time. He owned all the land. And in that situation, you really did have a situation where a small group of people owned everything and there wasn't anything left for the lower class. That's not the situation we are in in America. We are a free market capitalist society. And this idea, this belief, this old-fashioned way of thinking that if somebody is doing better than you, they're doing it at your expense, needs to die out. I don't understand why people still believe this garbage in America in 2020, but there are plenty of people that do. And, you know, we all know people that own a business. Is that person a cartoon villain? Is he sitting in his office laughing maniacally and dry washing his hands at the thought that He is keeping somebody from earning a good wage or even having a job at all. Of course not. The people I know that own a business, they built that business from the ground up. And it's not just a business. It's their life. That business is their baby. And the people that work for them are not just numbers on a spreadsheet. They're part of the family. And even with larger corporations, yes, in that instance, the owner probably does not know his lower level employees, but even then it's not some evil attempt to keep people in poverty. Larger corporations are looking just at numbers and the numbers say we have to keep our production costs below this level or otherwise we're going to have to raise the price of our product. Nobody's going to buy it and everybody will be out of a job. It doesn't sound warm and fuzzy, but it is a very grounded and realistic way to run a business. It doesn't have to be nice, but it is not evil. The bottom line is is that if a business stays open, that is more beneficial to the employees than it would be if they raised the wages much higher than what the market should demand and the business goes under and everybody loses their job. I'm not a fan of minimum wage because I feel like the market will set its own price Basically, if you're working a job and you're making very little money and you're working your butt off, a lot of people are going to say, you know, this isn't worth it, and they're going to look somewhere else. So the company will have to either raise their wage to keep their workers, 
or they'll go out of business because they can't get anybody to to do the work that they need done. Again, the people that sort of feel like that's a bad idea are kind of in the camp of the cartoon villain running the businesses. And everybody says, you know, I want to, I want my slice of the pie. I want my slice of the pie. The beauty of free market capitalism is you don't have to wait to get your slice of a pie. You can bake your own pie. There's a big push now to shop locally and you support the little mom and pop businesses. All those local mom and pop businesses, that is an individual trying to make their own pie. That's what you're supposed to do in this country. Don't wait for the scraps from somebody else. You don't have to do that. You can go out and get your own. And this belief that if somebody's doing better than you, it means that you can't do that because they've sort of gobbled up those those dollars out of the economy or those resources. It's just flawed thinking. And here's a good analogy that I want everybody to think about. Imagine your car and the guy up the street. Now, I I have a nice car, but it is a mid-sized pickup truck. It's nothing fancy. But let's say the guy up the street is driving a $100,000 Range Rover. His car does not affect my car. If my car breaks down, it's not because his car's running really well. And I'm not going to stand out there and say, I can't repair my car and get it back on the road because this guy's Range Rover is running spectacularly. They're two different vehicles. They don't affect each other. What some rich guy down in town who owns a business, if he makes $500,000 a year, that does not affect my ability to earn money at all. It's two separate instances. And as insane as it would sound if somebody told you that their car isn't running very well because somebody up the street's car is running much better and it's keeping their car from running well... That is how you should look at it when somebody says that the rich are keeping the poor down. Saul Alinsky believed that somehow the wealthy in this country were keeping the lower classes down. And I simply do not agree with that, and I don't agree with it because it's not true. And on that note, I'm going to wrap it up, guys. Uh, Stop listening to me and get out and start baking your own pie. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, If you did, as always, leave me a comment, a like, and subscribe. And you can leave a comment at the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page or at freshfrozensouthener at gmail.com. All right, guys, enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you again on Monday, and have a good one. Thank you very much.